keep Austin weird. That's the slogan. You see it written on shirts, stickers, and even on many, many walls. Differences between people are celebrated here. And in Austin, you see this just about everywhere you go. I've never seen a city so welcoming to artists, musicians, comedians. They thrive here because this city embraces the arts unlike any other. Everywhere you go, you see people being themselves. However, that's not all that makes Austin different. You see, Austin has a very rich history, a lot of which, apparently, has been left behind. There's a large amount of paranormal activity there. Enough, in fact, that you can go and take tours of many of Austin's haunted places. So how weird is Austin? Weird enough to keep competing ghost tour companies running. Weird enough that a Google search for haunted Austin brings thousands of results. Enough for today's guest to not even see ghosts as a scary thing at all. To her, they're just an everyday part of the job. I'm Albie Robles, and I want you to scare me. Monica Ballard has been a guide for Austin Ghost Tours since 2005 and has represented their affiliated production company, Haunted Texas, as a writer, on-camera personality, and guest speaker throughout and outside of Texas. Monica's been featured on radio and television shows, local and national, including Biography, Discovery, and the Travel Channel's My Ghost Story. Many of the stories she's compiled and chronicled over the years can be found in her book, True Haunted Tales of the Driscoll Hotel. Greetings. My name is Monica Ballard. I've been an Austin ghost tour guide for about 15 or 16 years. And... Uh, what keeps me around for so long is that it's it's always something different. We're always adding to the stories. We're always doing constant research. And we find new information that bubbles up to us about oh, every few months or so that, uh, that make it constantly interesting. And we're passionate about sharing the truth about these people and their lives and, and their passions. A number of years back, I uh, I collected so many stories about downtown that I began writing a book, and it got too unwieldy, and I finally uh, asked a, a friend of mine, I said, how can I rein it in? They said, just pick one location. Wh which location do you have the most stories about? And that seemed to be the Driscoll Hotel at the corner of 6th and Brazos, sort of the epicenter of Austin hauntings. And so, um, yeah, I wrote a book, and, it, and it's titled True Haunted Tales of the Driscoll Hotel, Volume 1. And I had high hopes of the Driscoll actually, you know, putting it in their rooms or offering it in their welcome baskets. And no sooner did it come out, the hotel was bought by the Hyatt chain. And <clears throat> the Hyatt, well, this was their first historic property. They really don't know what to make of ghosts because you can't train for something like that, right? <laughs> you can't put something like that uh, in a category and, 
under how to treat the paranormal activity. Uh, so it's been a number of years since they bought the property, and I think they're kind of warming up to the idea that they they truly are haunted. And I've been here with the Driscoll a number of times. They've had about four different owners since I started working for Austin Ghost Tours. And we've made the flip-flop of, we're not haunted. Yes, we're haunted. We're not haunted. Yes, we're haunted. <laughs> about four different times. A good example of uh, turning a skeptic into a believer, or at least seeing a number of eyebrows raised, <laughs> is uh, some audio that I captured downtown at a, at a building at the corner of 7th and Congress, where we had been invited in to do uh, uh, an investigation. And it was a company that uh, had occupied the second floor of the building. And on the first floor, there used to be a Thai restaurant. They very quickly and unexplainably moved out. It just happened all of a sudden. So this company on the second floor, who had had some activity up there on that floor of objects getting moved around and weird voices and things like that, they had the opportunity to take over some of that first floor and the creepy basement, but not before they invited us in to kind of poke around and, and do a little bit of investigating. In that investigation, we did find some more disembodied voices, uh, both on the first floor and particularly in the basement. And so I wanted to come back and keep the conversation going uh, because it, it, it felt like these spirits just weren't used to having anyone know that they were there or the fact that, they, that we were interested in communicating with them. So in order to accomplish this, I found that I didn't need to get in the building. I found that I could just simply park beside the building and sort of reintroduce myself, and they were quite happy to communicate. Now, I do admit that I stole the game that I played with them from Ghost Hunters. It's the one, two, three game. I say one and two. I expect them to say three. And they played it. They... They were, they were quite willing to do this. Uh, they told me, I, I explained the game and said, do you want to play this? They told me, start. Uh, I said, one and two, lost a little faith, added two and a half. And they responded, three, very loudly. And in fact, it, it was so astonishing uh, that I, I laughed. And I said, that was amazing. And there was a female voice in the back that said, yes, it was. And the female voice in the front that simply said quite loudly, yes, and said it very nonchalantly as well. And I recorded this in my car, sitting, sitting parked next to the building uh, and using a, a shack hat. And as some of your listeners might know, and some of the people who watch those shows on cable TV, a shack hat is a Radio Shack radio where the scan and seek button has been disabled. So it simply rolls through the frequencies and spirits can utilize the white noise in order to answer the questions directly. And then I just set up a, a session on my iPhone and record on my iPhone. And then I go through the evidence. And for this, for this session, though, I didn't really need to put on headphones or anything. I, mean, I could hear everything that they were saying. It was, it was class A responses. I know. I'll say one and two, and you say three, okay? One, two, two and a half, 
<laughs> that was amazing. Yes. And then I played the same game along 3rd Street, where we started our Saturday night tours. And they played the, the exact same game the exact same way. Where they told me start. I said one and two. They responded three. I told them what a great... <laughs> Well, that that was that was really awesome, and that it met my expectations. And they stopped the radio on a sports station with a cheering crowd and an excited announcer. And then they started the radio again, and a female voice came back at the end and said, "Yes," just to close the loop. So the same conversation in two different parts of town. And when I play this audio for people, their their minds are blown. And I said, yeah, that's how it goes. You go out looking for answers, and sometimes, gosh darn it, all you come back with are just more questions. I was alone in my car when I recorded this. I'm going to say one, two, and you say three. One. Two. <laughs> you are not to be outdone, are you? Good for you. The second session that I did down by Third Street, we had been chatting with the with the spirits there for quite some time, doing shack hack sessions and trying to find out who was there. It's along Waller Creek, and Waller Creek is always populated. It has been since the twenties the 1920s for years um, by the homeless and uh, the destitute. In fact, Lyndon Johnson, when he worked downtown, often remarked that, that if he ever came to power, that he would make sure that Waller Creek was cleaned up and that those people living along the creek uh, had better housing. So it, it's, that's how long it it's it's been in dire straits and there was a there was a gentleman who had recently passed from cancer and in his life in the last remaining months of his life as i would wrap up my tour down there by third street i i could always kind of see him off in the shadows somewhere and he would always he would never bother me while while my guests were around it was always after i dismissed my guests and they were wa walking away and he would approach me very cautiously, and he would always say, are you tonight, my beauty? You look very nice tonight, my beauty. And I would always share a couple of bucks from, from my tips for him and ask him how he was and make sure that he had enough to get a sandwich or something like that. But you hear him when I'm saying the number two. You can hear him come through with my beauty. And it had been about two weeks since his passing from cancer. It really makes them stop and think uh, about some of the response. My theory on what a haunting is is that uh, that there are different levels of cognizance. That yes, there are residual hauntings that we know of uh, spirits who, when you're when you're thinking about them, or maybe reason, reading the historic plaque on the side of the building, or it could be of a time of year or um, a shift in temperature or humidity or something like that. There's something that pushes the play button. 
on their recording. And some sort of essence of their energy goes through the motions of something that they did in life, an imprint that they left on that property. And there are other occasions where the haunts are more intelligent. Um, I know that my, my late husband isn't connected with a building or um, an object or something like that. He's connected with me. So he follows me around. But I felt his energy change in the 17 years that he's been gone, at least from this, this existence as we know it. I felt his energy shift and his frequency has gotten higher through the years. When he first passed, he bumped around between this world and the next. He, he was very clumsy about his transition. He had the, the, the annoying habit of um, particularly interacting with electronic devices and breaking them, but then fixing them the next day. And uh, this continued for, as I say, for about 18 months. And then his energy shifted as though he developed and he got more graceful about his interactions. And we found this to be the case in a lot of the, the hauntings in, in downtown Austin and also out at Pioneer Farms where we, um, where we also do investigations. And sometimes it's the people connected with the buildings and sometimes it's people who are connected with the stories. And it just varies. The, the hauntings are as interesting and as varied as the living. In a place like the Driscoll Hotel, it has to do with the flow of the hotel. We've, we've found that hauntings generally have to do with an older building, a building that's near water or a busy highway to give it that extra influx of energy, and it has to do with the amount of light still in that location. So people tell me all the time, well, I'm going to go look for ghosts in a graveyard. And I'll say, yeah, good luck with that. Really, all you're going to find are really unhappy ghosts. <laughs> if you find anything at all, if you want to find the good time, party time ghosts and the ones that are really anxious to interact and play and communicate, go to a location where the building is old, it's near water or a lot of busyness like Sixth and Brazos, uh, and has, still has lots of life to it. But the thing about downtown is that downtown was built on top of artesian springs. So there's a lot of movement of underground water associated with, um, with, with those buildings. And then the buildings themselves are built out of granite and brick, and they have iron columns. And so... Uh, all a lot of the buildings act like batteries. You add to that the amount of life uh, along Sixth Street, at least, well, up until the pandemic, anyway. Yeah. Uh, and it, it keeps those buildings charged and creates an enormous amount of buildup of paranormal energy, which every now and then is is expelled in an extraordinary way. It's something known in paranormal circles as stone tape theory and i've had geologists on my tour who say oh yeah this, this kind of thing happens all the time in places like caves and other structures like that where things just sort of build up after a time and then boom 
uh, every now and then something something extraordinary happens. And when it happens while on tour, couldn't be better. <laughs> We've had a number of people take extraordinary photographs where there are uh, blurry lines or explosions of color or something like that. Or someone uh, just the other night on uh, the Pioneer Farms tour that we were doing on the investigation, uh, we were inside a house that had a lot of activity. And I was standing very close to someone who said to their companion, okay, did you just touch me on the head? And I said, that's impossible. He's standing there holding dowsing rods in both of his hands and his hands never moved. And she said that it, it felt as though someone were, were touching her on the, on the top of the head, just sort of mussing with her hair a little bit. When you see the sense for the very first time of people experiencing what I call dimensional shift, where they suddenly feel that they're walking through a force field or a force field has just passed through them and their, their eyebrows jump two inches, that's really exciting. Or a phantom aroma, something that's not supposed to be there, the scent of fire from a blacksmith shop when no one's been working around fire or coals or anything like that all day or rose water perfume or something something along those lines something out of place like that that that's that's just extraordinary to me and what what people are most astonished by and i realize the name of your podcast is called scare me but a lot of times people realize that an experience like that doesn't have to be frightening, that no one has to throw a brick at them in order to experience the paranormal, that it can be a subtle experience. It can be the sudden thought of a loved one that they hadn't thought of for a long time, or the scent of their grandmother's rose water perfume, or the fresh baked smell of cookies, or something like that that reminds them of someone who's passed and that the person right next to them can be experiencing something entirely different but personal to them. Some of the paranormal investigators that I have great respect for include, of course, the Clingy brothers who used to have the, the TV show uh, Ghost Lab. Uh, I know that they are very keyed in on the science behind hauntings. They're curiosity and the way that they go about investigations is um, is out of the ordinary and a lot of times scientifically based. Uh, it was one of their investigations that they did at the Presidio in uh, Goliad that I found very, very intriguing where they connected a lot of paranormal activity with the, the amount of static charge in the air and whether there were thunderstorms nearby. And so uh, whenever I see a forecast where the, the humidity is, is going to be a little bit unsettled or something like that, it, it always excites me to go out and try and do an investigation in weather like that, where it's either approaching or it's just past, because things have already uh, always seem to be a little bit more heightened than normal. Another group that I have a great deal of respect for is Wide Awake Paranormal. 
from the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Uh, again, they they do things a little bit differently, um, and um, and put great scientific regard into what it is they're doing. They they review evidence meticulously, and um, and they don't always jump to conclusions. Uh, you know when the when the word association comes up or something like that, they don't they don't try and follow false leads or or try and make a narrative out of it. They collect the evidence, then they go through uh, the evidence, and they don't try to lead lead it into some sort of story arc that may not pertain to the location. There are also a couple of guys here in the Austin area who did um, uh, a TV show called Strange Town because Austin is known as the, you know, right. uh, we like to keep it weird here. So um, they, uh, they've done an, uh, a TV show, and I, I worked an investigation with them uh, at the Magnolia Hotel in Seguin and was quite surprised that when I showed up that they knew who I was and who I worked with, and, and they were sort of fanboys. So we were, there was a sort of a mutual admiration society there. Of, uh, where I had a great deal of respect for their work, and and they had enormous respect for uh, our founder Janine Plummer, and and the work that we've done with Austin Ghost Tours and Haunted Texas. So that was that was very very cool. The only brush that I've had with, I guess you would call a, a malevolent haunting, is. Um, Actually, two locations. Uh, one is uh, in Fairfield County, which is oh, just east of the Dallas area. Um, we did a uh, we did an investigation there um, with Wide Awake Paranormal, and actually, the the people who operated the um, the museum complex there uh, were very wide open to the. The hauntings there, and so they organized this um, this investigation, which took us to. And it's all on the same property. Uh, it was uh, a moonshiner's church, a jail with a residence downstairs, and the jail was upstairs, and a museum where there were a lot of farming tools and dolls and furniture, a lot of attachments in the same building. Let's just say. But while we were in the um, while we were in the jail and just walking around, the the atmosphere was very heavy and oppressive. And going through the evidence later on, some of us females listening to the recordings that we had made as we were walking around, there were a number of disembodied voices who made threats, uh, and I didn't know it at the time. I guess if I had heard them at the time, I'd, I might have been more frightened uh, and realized that I might have been in a little bit more danger than, than I actually was. Uh, the same thing was true of the building at 7th and Congress when I was in the basement down there. Uh, some of the disembodied voices that we captured down there when I was going through the evidence were very, oh, threatening, shall we say, but again, it was nothing that we could hear when we were in the moment. It wasn't until we were going through the evidence later on that we discovered that um, some of what happened might have happened down there through the years 
uh, was in any way, shape, or form in, in, in a, had a bad attitude. And there's one location of Pioneer Farms, which is sort of a portal where I pointed out to people that I stay away from it because um, it does tend to get very oppressive. And uh, every now and then I will feel something trying to take away heart energy. I'll feel little stabs of pain in my heart. So I, I kind of shy away from that area as well. We find a number of people who come on the tour are skeptics. It runs about uh, 70-30, with the 30% being skeptics. They, they're usually tagging along with someone else who's a true believer. And it's always fun to show the evidence or play an audio clip that they just can't explain. They just can't logically toss it off. And uh, we, we've turned some skeptics into believers by the end of 90 minutes, to be sure. Do you want to try to scare me? If you've had or have heard about a paranormal experience you'd like to share, or if the area you live in has a particularly scary legend or lore, I want to hear it. Send an email to scareme at albirobelesvoice.com. Scare Me is produced by Albi Robles Voice and features original music by Adam Clifton. For voiceover booking information or to inquire about having your own podcast produced, go to www.albiroblesvoice.com.